Blog Talk Radio. All right, remember when we told you about that leaked NSA memo that confirmed a company that keeps voter rolls in many states? Amy Coney Barrett already sits in a stolen seat. She's on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, she fills a seat that was uh, nominated by Barack Obama. Um, Barack Obama nominated a woman named uh, uh, Myra Sh- uh, Shel- Selby uh, to sit on that circuit, black woman. Uh, in 2016. Mitch McConnell blocked the woman, just like he blocked Merrick Garland, um, and when Trump got in, he appointed Coney Barrett to help seat. The Senate Circuit, which has 11 judges, Dr. Richard now have a telephone number. Talk to Karen Ritten, 
Ridson Hoff uh, all night yeah. long. I, I want her to come down here to Florida, take a vacation, and we can sit right here and watch all the seasons of The Handmaid's Tale and go out and and have a talk. We've got somebody on the line um, Eight six zero, you're on our board. Who's on this line? Hello. Hello. Are you calling Dr. in? To... Oh yeah. Is it Doctor Ritzenoff? I can't tell. Eight six zero. I think that is the Connecticut uh, exchange. Okay. Okay. Oh. Uh... Well, we've got Gio in. Hello. How are you? Thanks for joining us tonight. Are you talking to Gio or are you talking to me? I'm talking to you. Okay, yes. This is Suzanne. Hi, Suzanne. Oh, Suzanne, thank you for joining us. Uh, It was such a pleasure to, to have you. It's it's hard. Uh, the difficulty here is that I didn't have telephone numbers of people who would call in, so I only see your area code and not your name. Ooh, okay. All right. I get so, it now. Okay. What were your th- What are your thoughts after two hours of talking uh, about the series and the book? I think I think that um, everything that Dr. Ritzenhoff brought up, as far as parallels to you know what Margaret Atwood had to say, you know when writing uh, *Handmaid's Tale*, in comparison to what's going on in this country at the very moment, you know, is quite a very uh, definitive parallel. Um, this country has a lot of work to do. People Absolutely. have a lot of work to do here. Yep. Yep. Um, um, you know, I I just um, sometimes when when we say we have a lot of work to do and we need to act, many people, uh, Suzanne, Suzanne, I know as a filmmaker, you understand. People don't know where to start. They want to do right. something, but they don't know where I, to I think, start. I, I think I think in in that regards, I think um, you start you start close you start close to home. You start in your neighborhood. You could start by just doing acts of uh, kindness, because I I'm, I'm seeing less and less kindness in this country. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you could start there if you didn't know what to do. But if you wanted to tackle bigger things, then you have to go after um, you have to go after what's going on with the government, and as Karen said, what's going on with higher education. You know, um, having sat in on some of her classes and uh, being back on the campus again after you know forty years, uh, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of changes. In, 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 it's hard being an educator and, and what you can talk about, what you can't talk about, that very uh, narrow line that you're, you're always walking along. Um, they've mm-hmm. made it harder for educators to teach and to enlighten um, young people. Suzanne, are you the Suzanne that contributed to the book Teaching Dystopia? No, no, I no, I am not. Oh, okay. No, no but I did a, okay. attend a, a wonderful conference that they had where um, I felt very privileged to be able to sit amongst all those writers. Uh, there was a a conference where all the contributors to that book came, including the. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, person from Canada came as well. Oh wow! And I got to, I got to meet a lot of people that that contributed to to that book. 
Um, and it was great. Oh. It was great. They each got to get up and talk a little bit about the chapter that they wrote. Um, brilliant yeah. writers. Wow. You know, one uh, one of the things that is is really scary that Dr. Ritzenhoff, uh pointed out, and and you're reiterating, Suzanne is the idea of what's happening in our colleges and in academia uh, altogether. And mm-hmm. as Michelle uh, has said, the teachers are the first to go. Uh, the ones yes. that, mm-hmm. that are rejected. And I think that that whole movement started when this country started using taxpayer dollars to pay for religious schools as a substitute to public school. And we saw an Uh, increase of that under Betsy DeVos. Yes, yes. I would have to agree. That was a very wrong move. Very wrong move. We we could get into, uh, you know... uh, personal stories from, from my childhood, how I almost went to parochial school. And as a little child, when I said my prayers before I went to bed, I prayed that I didn't have to go to parochial school because I wouldn't mm-hmm. have survived. Yeah. Well, you know, in history, in U.S. history, uh, there was a proliferation of parochial schools to escape integrated public schools. That's right. That's exactly um, right. Yeah, so that was um, a, a, a little bit of of uh, history going on uh, underground. There's also a scene, um, I forget which season it is, um, where uh, uh, Emily... I believe it is. Yeah, um, Emily was a, 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 a professor. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. she was a physicist. She's a college professor and she's a lesbian. And um and uh, one of the her, her department director uh tells her that next semester um, she won't be in the classroom. They're going to have her do research. And so he ends up Explaining, it, you know, that there's this um, homophobia going on. Uh, she gets very upset about that. Um, and then the next thing you know, you see her department director, the man, um, hanging from a pole. You know. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah. so, so teachers are very threatening, and it, it, you know, and that there's been really a concerted effort to dumb down America for a long time. It's been effective as far as I can tell. And, uh, uh, you know, it's not, you can understand from an oppressor's perspective why you would not want thinking people in your midst, but I think that that also points us to how we have to fight this thing. You know, we have to be more determined than ever to use our gray matter Um, because it is a real threat. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, And I I think that people, um, I think people in this country um a lot of times or you know of late are more easily overwhelmed um they don't want to try to think too hard um mm-hmm. the whole the whole um way that people in America live you know the speed the speed at which we live um mm-hmm. doesn't give us uh, the the time to think. 
So when I say, you know, when you should start in your neighborhood, you should start in your neighborhood, you should start in your own home. I mean, it's not really um, conducive when you're you're working at such a rate where, you know, um, your family, your, the people that you love, the people that you you take care of um, uh, become yeah. secondary because because I, the powers I, I that be. Why, I think that's why the pandemic and, and the lockdown has been such a threat to the status quo because it gave so many people who don't normally have it that chance to slow down. And think about right. what what's going on here. What's yeah. going on and reflect. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah and I think that kind of uh, was an awakening in and of itself, I think, mm-hmm. for, for a lot of people. Like, well, wait, wait a minute. I can really, I can spend time with my family? Really? I can, right. I can actually do this job out of my house? Um, right, sitting traffic for two hours. I mean, right. Things should change. I think. I think that people should um, sort of ride that that wave, if you will, um, to to try to um, push push the limits. You know, things could be different if we. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Put our proverbial thinking caps on. Things could be very different. It would be very different. Um, BJ, if if people are trying to join the conversation, they have to, uh, what, press number one? (coughs) Yes. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. It's not just the three of us, is it? There's got to be other people. Where is Dr. Ritzenhoff on the line? No, she hasn't come up yet. Probably taking okay. intermission. That was a long. Um, that was two hours <laughs> of of talking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just finished uh, watching uh, all four seasons in a binge-like uh, manner over the past week. <laughs> so my head is. Full of of these images of horror, um, and and one thing that kind of stood out to me, you know, it was so horrifying to that final ending of season four when uh, the women killed Fred, and it looked like June bit off Fred's nose and then nailed his his. Uh, finger and wedding ring to Serena, but it was just—it was striking to me that those, they really, the women really just were doing what they had been taught to do in Gilead. It just—it—it—it it, it really this time around watching it, it just felt like a natural. Well, yeah, that is how you would solve a problem because. <laughs> You know, that's what you were were forced to do in Gilead. Um, Right. So, yeah. So when we were talking earlier in the program about this comfort level with with violence um, and how we see it, you know, playing out more and more in the public square these days, it's it's just striking to me that it doesn't really take that long to to nurture in people maybe something that is already there waiting to be <laughs> released waiting for a way to get out um it doesn't seem to take very long um to turn people into uh, really violent actors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other is uh, how a society actually um, 
uh, prepares children to mm-hmm. respond to circumstances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's, there's a Go ahead. There's there's a scene in season four where Joseph is saying, he's talking to Aunt Lydia, I think, and he's saying, well, you know, the women are not so much of a problem now um, because now they're dealing with a generation of women that have grown up in Gilead, you know, as opposed to that first crew, June's crew, who uh-huh. still had a bit of resistance in them, you know. And it's like that. Like when you think about, I, I, I always wonder, you know, during the slave era uh, in the United States, you know, how long did it really take for people coming from Africa um, or, or forced here from Africa to start to accept that this was the way the world works. Yeah, yeah. The way the world and works um, is a good way. But of, there's a lot that you can do with a generation. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah the generation upon generation. And, um, yeah. Myself being of indigenous background, do you have the enslavement of indigenous people, especially in New England? And if you didn't cooperate in New England, you were shipped off to the West Indies. So um, mm. there's a lot of indigenous uh, peoples uh, in the West Indies as a result. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you have uh, generation and generation. Uh, colonialism, colonization was it? I don't know. Just wasn't a very good idea. Now that's the understatement of the, of the day, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? it really is. It's profound <laughs> in 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 many ways. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, Suzanne, we really appreciate. Tell us a, a little about your work. My work is um, my work is my films are art films. Uh, they're very they're experimental. They're out what you want to call outsider films. Um, mm-hmm. mostly because I, you know, being a woman and, and a filmmaker, uh, when I was in school, I was one of two women in, in a department of 66 men. And I learned really quick how, uh, how difficult it was being a woman filmmaker. Um, mm. uh, I did not have access to equipment. I told uh, Karen this story that when I was there um, in school, you had to, if you wanted equipment, if you wanted to sign out equipment, you had to depend on upperclassmen, and I mean classmen, to sign equipment out for you and then attend to you while you were using the equipment. So, it didn't get broken. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I I grew up in, the, I you know, I, I was uh, in school and, and learning about film in the early 70s. I came up through the 60s. So uh, mm-hmm. it was, um, it was a very turbulent time. I mean, in a lot of ways. So being a woman filmmaker was, uh, not an easy task, um, but I've continued. Mm-hmm. I've continued to make films, and um, 
I'm 65 now and uh, plan on making films until I'm a real old lady. (laughs) (laughs) So when I show up in the classroom, you know, it's just like, what's this white-haired old lady doing (laughs) in our classroom? And um, I will regale them with tales of the 60s and the 70s and people, you know, filmmakers were on the streets just documenting what they were, what they saw, you know, and um, I don't know if the kids today truly understand about, you know, what it was to be an activist back then and to continue to be an activist now. Um, I don't think they have a good sense of what underground means. Um, Mm-hmm. But there was, I mean, that's how things got done. That's how things got changed. But um, it was at, it was at a tremendous, um, it was a tremendous price to pay to get those yes. changes made. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting to me now. There are a lot of um, women in, in your age range that are, um, telling stories about what it was like to get an abortion, you know, uh, oh, right. prior to prior to Roe v. Wade. Um, oh, yeah. And even me, I mean, by the time I became a young woman, uh, Roe, was, Roe was law. Um, so even for me, it's interesting... Um, to to hear those stories and to to realize that it really wasn't that hard to grow, you know, and that's that's kind of what I mean by within a generation, within a couple of generations, um, you can really change the landscape for good or for evil, you know, in either direction. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You, you can, and it's it's you know it's it's interesting how the generations um, I can uh, quickly tell you a story where when I was in high school, I managed to have um, an old beat up car of my own, which I I bought and paid for myself because I started working under age. Uh, and just told people I was 16. So I was working because I, I had I had goals. Anyway, I um, one of the things I was doing was I was taking young women to Planned Parenthood, which are uh, the only office of Planned Parenthood in the state of Connecticut that I knew of was in Manchester, Connecticut. And it, it on uh-huh. the regular, got bomb threats. Actually, it was what? bombed a few times. You know, yeah. Um, and I would bring young women there, you know, for birth, for you know, birth control pills and you know, stuff for you know, reproductive, uh, whatever they whatever they needed. And one day I was I got caught. Uh, the school called my parents' house and said she's not in school. So when I went home. I was facing my mom, who was like, you weren't in school. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I said, no, no, I wasn't in school. And I told her that I had to, I had took a pregnant woman, that young woman from school who had been exposed to German measles and had had to absolutely go to Planned Parenthood clinic, prenatal clinic, and, and be assessed. And... Um, okay. It was then when my mom turned around and told me, well, you know, all those times when, you know, uh, when you were a little girl, uh, every like once, twice a month, uh, me and a couple of neighbor ladies would hop in the car and say we were going shopping for the day. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's actually where we were going, where we were leaving Connecticut and driving over the Rhode Island border to get our birth control pills because it was illegal to have any kind yeah. of um, mm-hmm. any kind of uh, of that sort of thing in the state of Connecticut. Wow! So we both learned something. Yeah. 
like like mother like daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and when we were talking earlier about you know uh, religious education and you know a, a parochial school, yeah. uh, the the Catholic Church, our particular church, banned my mother from church for six months because she wow. freely admitted that she was using birth control. Those were the those wow. were, I mean those were harsh days. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just interesting, you know, all of these these tax um are 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 not new, but they're they're very effective. No. Like I I, I recently um there was a bombing. Uh, where did it? I think this happened in your neck of the woods, uh, BJ, down there in Florida. A bombing of the Democratic Democratic uh, headquarters. When? Um, maybe about a month ago. Yeah, I think it was somewhere in Florida. Um, no, you know, that was kind in. Of um, that was in Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. Oh. Texas, Florida, same difference. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you. I'm telling you and Suzanne and everybody that's in the chat room and listening to this broadcast. If it goes down, y'all come down here in Florida and help me escape. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'll be riding the broom. I'll be riding the broom. <laughs> That's right. We will, we will get our brooms and our red capes. <laughs> yeah, and, and off we go. You don't even get me started about Texas. They won't allow me in that state. I got kicked out. <laughs> well, I'm yeah, just, I'm, to, I'm just telling you. Guards, security guards at the Dallas airport tell me that I didn't ever have to come back to Texas ever again because I made fun of the George W. Bush big old brown statue of him with his book upside down and his his short uh, shirt sleeves fluttering in the, in the breeze. Absolutely. And uh, they heard me joking yep. about it, and they didn't like it. <laughs> and they mailed wow. me. Said, you don't have to come back here ever again. While holding their pistols. So they were serious. Wow. Yeah, that would have been uh, early early 2000s. It's like 2000, probably 2003, 2004. Wow. He wasn't even president (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Yeah. But that's the thing, that that Donald Trump, you know, he didn't start all this stuff. You know, that's what I mean about there's there's something about tapping into something that is is already, you know, I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but something that's already embedded in humanity and, you know, the right spark just just uh ignites the flame. Um those intimidation tactics are very effective. Yes, you know, and they, that's, that's, they a, are. that's a, what's that? I said yes yes they are. They're very effective. Yeah. He he's he yeah, made us live in he made us all live in terror from day to day, not knowing you know, who he was going to go after, what he was going right. to do. Um, it was it was it was a terrible time. Yeah, yeah. And not over. And you know, that's that's why we have to stay alert. Um yep. and stay in conversation, stay in connection. Um Absolutely. One one of the things, uh, Dr. Uh, Timothy Snyder is, is a person who writes about authoritarianism, and one of the things he says is to make eye contact with people. Um, you know, just 
so you start to have a feel start to feel connected to the people around you because what fascism one of the things that it's so good at doing is making you feel like you can't trust anybody and really you know you can't mm-hmm. <laughs> but finding mm-hmm. finding those those you know one or two or three people um that you can connect to um so that you can have some sense of community and start to build some kind of resistance uh, is so important. It really is. It really is. Well, it looks like um, uh, Dr. Ritzenhoff is, um, I, I don't know, um, maybe she didn't pick up the number to call in. Yeah. So would you For those like of you who are listening, up? pardon me? I said, so are you thinking of just wrapping this up? Yeah, I am thinking of of, of that. Um, we'll, we'll give it some more time. We, we really rode over our intermission. We had an intermission plan for people who needed to refresh their refreshment and their mm-hmm. bodies, and we just blew past the the the, the intermission. Oh. Yeah, that could be that's that if you've taught all you know taught all day. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. Been going all day with no breaks. Uh, for right, those right. of you listening, uh, our calling number is five one six 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 six. Nine five one six. The number is five one six 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 nine five one six. One of the things that um, Dr. Ritzenhoff really brought home tonight was the 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 the, the multiplicity of um, themes going on in The Handmaid's Tale, you know, the the issues of mm-hmm. feminism, um, the environment, the dominance of power and control, and domestic violence. I mean, we didn't talk about Fred beating Serena Joy with the belt. Right. Um, yeah. You know, um, the, the, whole, the whole essence of the notion of the wall, which was to inspire a overwhelming fear. But we saw that right. in all of the characters. I mean, you know, the female mutilation um, of Emily and where mm-hmm. Aunt Lydia says to her, you won't desire what you can't have. And that was the right. Gilead, the Republic of Gilead's response to lesbianism. But because Emily mm-hmm. continued to be fertile, instead of mm-hmm. hanging her on the wall or sending her to the colonies, she mm-hmm. was put back into service as a as a handmaid. Um and then the work camps at the colonies, the whole idea of labor. And many people don't recognize that there are still labor camps um, in many parts of this country, whether it's picking <laughs> apples in upstate New York or it's picking cotton mm-hmm. in Alabama and Mississippi or chopping sugar cane in Palm Beach County, Florida. Those are labor camps when you are not paid equitably. And prison. And Pardon prison me? labor. And, and the prison, yeah, prison labor. Yeah, or prison the, labor, right. The, the, not only the corporate um, complicity in prison labor, but mm-hmm. also local and state complicity in prison labor. 
uh, here in Florida last year, Death DeSantis, who is the governor of Florida, signed a contract with a group of companies to allow prisoners to do robocalls uh, into Florida homes, selling mm-hmm. stuff. And oh, what, wow. what was part of that was that Comcast provided the lines. So the, the calls didn't come up as spam our name unavailable, the calls came up as a V call, which is a verified by Comcast. So you're thinking that it is a legitimate Comcast call. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a victim of that. And mm-hmm. the state provided the telephone numbers of citizens of Florida who were registered by either state uh, official state identification or by driver's license or the tax roll. Wow. And so for two and a half weeks, six or seven times a day, you were getting these these marketing calls. I filed the complaint against Comcast because I'm a Comcast subscriber and I felt Mm -hmm. that it was an intrusion and a crime, uh, Mm -hmm. a a privacy crime for them to allow that kind of spamming, official spamming of people. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard from from my complaint yet. But... I mean, um, the the whole idea of um, war and medical malfeasance in the series. We didn't get a chance to talk about that tonight. But the whole idea that a society that had no control over who their uh, medical provider would be what they would do, and um, I mean, I, I recall and, and was horrified by the scene where the um, uh, Alfred went to the gynecologist to get checked because that was part of what ha- handmaids had to do, and the doctor indicated to her that if she wanted the rapes by her commander to stop, he could provide her, he could have sex with her so she would get pregnant because it was most likely that the commander was infertile. And that's why she wasn't getting pregnant. Oh, my God. I mean, the... And he, and he offers that, he offers to rape her uh, while she laid out on the table with her legs up in the stirrups. Yes, yes. Yeah. And yeah, and of course uh, of of course the whole <laughs> notion of uh Suzanne I kept saying all through the season two, three, four, where are the black people? Did they kill them all? <laughs> Did they send right? all of the black people to the colonies? Because the only black people that you saw were soldiers, one or two, and those that were handmaids and those that were martyrs. Right, and it wasn't. There wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't. There wasn't a prevalence of color at all. Really, I mean, it was. As you say, where did they all go? Mhm, mhm. Um, so um it 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 just brings up it raises so many themes that we need to be uh aware of and to understand 
one of the themes is uh, the theme of depression and um, traumatic stress disorder uh, mm-hmm. that's so prevalent throughout the story. Um, yeah, and, because, and religion, of pardon me. And, and and I said in religion, you know. Yes. Um, how how people need to believe in something um, can can be so easily manipulated. Like you know, like I I think Serena, of course, is a horrible person. But I also think that at at the point that she got into this, she genuinely bought the religious uh, angle, and you know, and there's there's a there's a scene um, where Joseph is talking to. Uh, June, and he's telling her that they're going to hurt her daughter if she doesn't uh, tell them what they want to know. And June says, "Oh, you know, they would never hurt a child. They would never hurt children. That's all Gilead cares about." And Joseph says, uh, "No, <laughs> you know, uh, they don't care about children." Uh, and all of that, the religion, the tradition, the old school values, the baked bread, all of the stuff that they they claim to believe in um, is just a cover for for getting to the power that they want. And, you know, and so I think that, you know, as we watch these Republicans go through whatever it is they're going through these days, um, where we see them beating police to death with their bare hands, uh, uh, you know, where where all of the things that they have claimed to believe in uh, so strongly over the past fifty or so years, we're now seeing where we're. we're a smokescreen, apparently, you know, <laughs> and so I just, you know, I just, I, I just think that's interesting. That's yeah, interesting uh, that there, there are the true believers, but that the the power seekers, the the manipulators behind it, are using the need of the true believers to believe in something to advance these really hideous agendas. Yeah, it is, it is, it is a, a smoke screen. It, it truly is. Um, I'm hoping, like you say, people just uh, wake up and can, uh, lots of people do and can see this. You know, it just as amazes me um, how many people um, are just following the Republicans and and all their all the lies and all the all you know all their agenda. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it's just not good. They just, I think, I think this country in a sense, as far as our political leaders and the the way politics runs, is that um, as far as for the Republicans, they don't want to change. They do not want change. They don't want change of any sort. They like things just the way they are. And um, so that means they're not going to be accepting of... of, um, a different type of America, you know, right. a more progressive type of America, a, a place where, um, you know, uh, people actually get along with one another. They they want they like that sense of division. That's what they're used to, and they're not going to change. So, I mean, 
being a fresh old 65-year-old woman, I mean, in, in my thoughts, I can only hope that they die off. You know, they're older than me. Maybe a lot of them will just die. I'm, I am well, I'm with you on that. I'm really fresh. But, I'm uh, with you on that. Right? We may have to kill them, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, right? We might have to speed up the process a little bit. Um, they're, they're, they're like, it's like an old regime. Their day has come and gone and nobody, you know, a lot of people just don't like their agenda anymore. They don't. Um, and wish that they would just go away. That's why I think we have to, you know, figure out what, what is the human need that, that is being said there, because these are, are issues that come up repeatedly. You know, these, these really, in a lot of ways, are ancient, ancient issues. Um, yeah. And, you know, and it was good, good to have Dr. Ritzenhouse there um, to bring in the Germany perspective, which is not ancient. You know, Germany is kind of, you know, modern uh, era uh, examples, but this stuff really goes deep in human culture, and I think that until we really get at what it is, um, we're just going to keep repeating these these patterns. Yeah, that's a, it's a gift. Yes, you're you're right. You're you're absolutely on point there. Um, we're just going to keep repeating and repeating and repeating, um, you know, that old saying that uh, lessons are taught until they are learned. Right. 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 Well, ladies, we've got to close up here because... um, We've got only one more minute on this clock. Suzanne, thank you so very much for joining us and being in our studio tonight. And Gio, thank you for joining us in the studio. Michelle, you did a fine job. I'm so proud of you. Yes, Um, thank you. We'll see you all in January 2022. And we also have... uh, in the chat room, uh, Be Wise oh, don't has say been it, with don't us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for being with us. And uh, okay. join us at TruthWorks Network and Our Common Ground. Our Common Ground will feature Dr. Raymond Wimbush this Saturday at 10 p.m., and I'll be listening for you. Michelle, All right. thank you so very much. Yes. And um, Okay, thank you. I'm looking forward to what more you're going to bring us in in uh, January. All thank right. you all for being with us. Good night. Good night. Good night.